0: This Day in Maine is made possible by listeners and by Eastern Basements, a division of Maine-owned Eastern Mold Remediation. Offering crawl space repairs and waterproofing, easternbasements.com. From Maine
1: Public Radio and mainepublic.org, I'm Patty White with the news on This Day in Maine, Thursday, February 22nd, 2024. The campaign of independent presidential candidate Robert Kennedy is suing Maine's top election official over access to polling places next month. Kennedy claims that Secretary of State Shanna Bellows is violating the Equal Protection Clause of the Constitution by not allowing his campaign to gather petition signatures inside polling locations during the March 5th presidential primaries. A lawsuit filed Wednesday in U.S. District Court says because Kennedy is not on the ballot that day, his campaign's presence would not potentially influence voters. Kennedy is the son of former U.S. Attorney General Robert F. Kennedy and the nephew of former President John F. Kennedy, but he's best known as the leader of a national anti-vaccination campaign. Kennedy's team needs to collect 4,000 signatures from registered Maine voters to qualify to appear on the November ballot. A six-month investigation into allegations of harassment, hazing, and retaliation by and among employees at the Maine State Prison in Warren has resulted in a leadership shakeup, at least temporarily. As Susan Sharon reports, Warden Matthew Magnuson has been replaced pending further investigation.
0: For months, several incarcerated residents of the Maine State Prison say they were aware of allegations of misconduct by staff, On Tuesday, they say they were unexpectedly put in a lockdown and then learned that the warden had been replaced. And on Wednesday, following a request for comment from Maine Public Radio, the Department of Corrections released a statement from Commissioner Randall Liberty. In it, Liberty says the department was made aware in August of alleged harassment, hazing, and retaliation among employees, as well as inappropriate relations between employees and residents. He says the DOC took immediate action and launched a comprehensive investigation that remains ongoing. Because confidential personnel matters are involved, Liberty is prohibited from offering additional details, but he confirmed that James Hancocks, a 15-year veteran of the prison, is serving as acting warden. And he says the department does not tolerate misconduct and takes extremely seriously any allegations of misconduct. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Susan Sharon.
1: Backers of a citizens' initiative that aims to limit contributions to certain political action committees in Maine have gathered enough valid signatures to put the issue before voters this fall. Secretary of State Shanna Bellow says that of more than 84,000 signatures collected, roughly 76,000 have been deemed valid. The initiative would limit contributions to PACs that make independent expenditures, such as ads that advocate to elect or defeat a candidate without the consent of any campaign. The legislature has the option of adopting the measure itself or sending it to voters in November. The Maine Senate narrowly advanced a bill today aimed at banning paramilitary training camps. Steve Missler has more.
2: The 18 to 14 vote in the Senate followed an equally close vote in the House on Wednesday. The proposal is a response to a now-abandoned effort by a national neo-Nazi group to build a training facility in northern Penobscot County. But opponents, including many Republicans, have criticized it as potentially unconstitutional. Two Senate Democrats joined them Thursday in voting no. Governor Janet Mills has not indicated whether she'll sign the measure if it reaches her desk. The bill is modeled after laws in Vermont and other states and it would not apply to training for law enforcement, the military, or anyone receiving instruction in self-defense. Additional votes are expected next week. For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Steve Missler.
1: The Maine House gave initial approval Thursday to a bill that would prohibit larger towns and cities from adopting a moratorium on homeless shelters. The measure was a response to Lewiston's decision two years ago to pass a six-month moratorium on new emergency shelters, the bill would prevent similar votes by Maine municipalities with more than 20,000 residents. Democratic Representative Holly Stover of Boothbay said such moratoria increased pressure on police, jails, hospitals, and neighboring communities. This is why we cannot allow, especially large municipalities in Maine, that serve as regional service centers to pass moratoria on emergency shelters. It unfairly burdens other communities and puts already vulnerable Mainers at greater risk. Opponents said the bill violates Maine's principle of home rule, but the measure won support on a vote of 74 to 58. It now goes to the Senate for consideration. The median price of homes in Maine in January reached $353,000, according to the Maine Association of Realtors. That's an increase of more than 8 percent compared to a year ago. Meanwhile, home sales dipped roughly 2 percent, Regionally, the median sales price in the Northeast was $443,000, a 10% jump from a year ago. 400 acres of undeveloped forest land in Casco have been permanently protected. Loon Echo Trust purchased the property, known as Rolf Hill, after a multi-year fundraising effort. The land is home to more than 60 acres of wetlands, vernal pools, and a trout stream in an area that's under increasing development pressure. In a press release, the trust says the property plays an important role in safeguarding the water quality of Sebago Lake, which is the drinking water source for more than 200,000 main residents. Public access for hunting, fishing, hiking, and other recreational activities is now also permanently secured. This month marks the fifth year anniversary of the Boy Scouts of America's decision to begin allowing girls into the program. Today, there are almost 45,000 girls enrolled in what's now called Scouts BSA, with 6,000 having advanced to the highest rank of Eagle. Nick Song reports on what the experience has meant for some of these girls and challenges the organization still faces today.
0: Good afternoon. Welcome to the Troop 338 Eagle Scout Ceremony for Kalen Groff.
2: Whenever Eagle Scout Kaelin Grog from South Berwick sees the Wilderness Survival Merit Badge on her sash, she remembers the campout when she and the other scouts in her troop slept outside in the shelters that they built from sticks.
3: Pretty much no one could actually sleep, so we actually went over to the biggest of the shelters we could find, sat in a circle, and just hung out.
2: <laughs> Only 6% of all BSA scouts advanced the rank of Eagle. Doing so requires a list of achievements, like earning dozens of merit badges and holding a senior leadership position in the troop. Most scouts take four to six years to earn Eagle, but Kaylin Grog of Troop 338G, she earned hers in just two.
3: I worked hard. I'm an Eagle now. I'm pretty proud of that.
2: Grog is the first female Eagle Scout to come out of York County, and one of 17 total female Eagle Scouts to have come out of the state of Maine. Audience, please rise for the presentation of the colors
0: girls have done a
1: terrific job and shown that, you know, they can rock that 50-mile hike just as their brothers can.
2: Kayleen Dethridge sits on Scouts BSA's National Board and leads their DEI task force. She says while the BSA divides boys and girls into separate troops, the requirements for advancement remain the same for both.
1: Girls, they didn't want a different version of scouting. They wanted to accomplish exactly the same things from a rank advancement standpoint, from a merit badge requirement standpoint, than their brothers and cousins and and fathers and grandfathers had. I think that that was a really important piece that whatever requirements existed, those same requirements would apply to girls as boys.
3: Honor Guard, please escort the parents of the Eagle candidate to their side.
2: A key part in any Eagle Scout's journey is their Eagle Scout service project, which is designed to benefit the Scout's local community. Macy Nolesky of Troop 2019 in Hancock County says her project involved constructing something everyone in her town could use.
3: My Eagle project is a puzzle and game exchange set, so it's like a little library, but it's a big shed for puzzles and games and also a small food pantry.
2: Working with local organizations, Nolesky raised thousands of dollars worth of materials, and led a crew of volunteers in the construction of the sheds. Having just turned 13, Nileski says her previous leadership experiences in scouting prepared her for the project.
3: Uh, the planning process itself before I started building was probably like a lot. Like 111 hours just planning it. I'm the senior patrol leader in my troop. I mean, it's really nothing new.
2: Heather Polarty is the scoutmaster for Girls Troop 338, which Kaylin Grock belongs to. Polarty helped found the troop a few years ago, when her daughter Ashlyn wanted to join Scouts.
3: I have gotten to go on a bunch of these troops with the kids and it has been a lot of fun. Unfortunately for us, we didn't have enough girls to recharter.
2: Today, there's been a sharp decline in BSA membership. COVID caused the closure of many units in the younger Cub Scouts program, which Scouts BSA relies on as a recruitment pipeline. After the pandemic, Polardi says Troop 338's closest Cub Scout unit never reopened.
3: Sixth graders are right about the age group. You kind of want to have them come in and nothing, nobody, you know, starting in high school. Trying to get kids who have never had uh, any kind of scouting experience to just want to join scouts is harder than having Cub Scouts just kind of naturally fold into
0: the troop. Kaelin, would you and your scoutmaster please come to the center?
2: Due to low membership, Both the girls' and boys' troops of Troop 338 are disbanding this year, meaning Kaelin Grog, at least for the foreseeable future, will be 338's first and final eagle. Another challenge facing Scouts BSA is its policy around gender identity. In 2021, Mia Dobbin garnered national recognition by becoming Maine's first female Eagle Scout, advancing in just under two years.
3: Definitely helped me learn a lot about myself and my interests, but I was kind of also realizing that I don't really identify as female. So there was another level of imposter syndrome where I was just like, I'm pretending to be female and (laughs) now people are interviewing me because of it.
2: While garnering praise for breaking glass ceilings, Dobbin, who uses they-them pronouns, realized they identify as non-binary, a gender identity falling outside the traditional male and female categories. Though Scout's BSA admits non-binary youth, ultimately that child only has the option of joining either a boy or girl troop, forcing the Scout to associate under a gender identity they don't use.
3: For scouts who might be non-binary or might feel some gender dysphoria, constantly being in a place where they're telling you your gender identity definitely doesn't feel good as a scout who might be struggling with that.
2: Just as a troop can be a boy troop or a girl troop, Dobbin says one solution could be giving troops the option to be fully co-ed. Despite these challenges, Scouts BSA officials say girls now make up a fifth of all Cub Scouts totaling around 100,000 across the nation. That means the number of girls in Scouts BSA and female Eagles should continue to rise in the upcoming years.
0: I now declare this court of honor closed. I ask the members of the court to congratulate BSA Scouting's newest Eagle Scout.
2: For Maine Public Radio News, I'm Nick Song.
1: And that's today's Maine News. For more stories, visit MainePublic.org. Coming up on Main Calling at 11 tomorrow morning, passions and pastimes. What activities do you enjoy? We'll also learn what some of our Maine public colleagues do for fun. I'm Patty White. Thanks for listening.